Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. Okay. Tonight is class five of our Eightfold Path Structured Study. And tonight's class is the Tissa Sutta. So Tissa was the Buddha's cousin. and a monk in the original Sangha. So I'm just going to start right in on this. And a little bit of John's commentary here. This is a powerful and typical sutta in the depth and knowledge that is presented to Tissa in a concise and direct manner. Tissa is a cousin of the Buddha and a monk in the original Sangha. Tissa's mind is still troubled from continued clinging to wrong views rooted in ignorance of Four Noble Truths. This is a common occurrence when one begins authentic Dhamma practice and is confronted by the challenges to long-held belief structures. This is often experienced, as Tissa describes here, with confusion, lethargy, indecision, and uncertainty. Indulging in the distracting modern common practice of over-analysis of these fleeting mind states, seeking insights, only continues ignorance. Tissa Sutta The Buddha was at Savati in Jita's Grove, Anathapandika's monastery. Tissa, a monk in the Sangha, was distressed. He told a group of Sangha members, Friends, I feel lost and uninspired. My mind is cloudy and overwhelmed. I am lethargic. I find this life unsatisfying. I am uncertain about the Dhamma. So, This is something that sounds familiar, right, to all of us at some point. Um, And, you know, as this goes on, the Buddha, of course, does an incredible job of of clearing Tissa's mind. But this is something that that we find, and, and as you'll hear, Tissa is clinging to wrong views. He's looking for outcomes. He's looking for things to be different than they are. The Buddha heard of Tissa's comments from the Sangha members and summoned him for a talk. Tissa went to the Buddha. He bowed in respect and sat to one side. Buddha's words. Tissa, Is it true that you feel lost and uninspired? Is your mind cloudy and overwhelmed? Are you lethargic? Do you find this life unsatisfying? 
Are you uncertain about my Dhamma? Yes, great teacher. Tissa, do you understand that one who is passionate, driven by desire, craving for and clinging to form and sensory satisfaction, will experience sorrow, regret, pain, distress, and despair due to change of form and loss of sensory satisfaction? Yes, I understand, great teacher. Good. This is what follows for one craving for form and sensory satisfaction. Tissa, do you understand that one who is free from passion and released from craving for form and sensory satisfaction does not experience the sorrow, regret, pain, distress, and despair due to change in form and loss of sensory satisfaction? So those two clauses there that the Buddha is talking to Tissa about are very important. And that when we... I think what, what, what's really important here is, is how Tissa has framed his Dhamma practice. And that... Tissa wants his Dhamma practice to solve all the problems. Tissa wants his Dhamma practice to make him feel good. Tissa wants his Dhamma practice to have him be happy. But that's not why we practice the Dhamma. So, Tissa's looking for outcomes. And Tissa is dissatisfied with the outcomes that he's experiencing. So, if we practice for outcomes, we're going to be disappointed. Which, we don't practice the Dhamma to fix things, to fix ourselves to fix a broken self, to fix an unhappy self. We don't practice the Dhamma to be better at life. We practice for calm, right? And why do we practice for calm? Because that is the only thing that will keep you from wanting to go back to where you came from. Tisa is, is missing his mommy's cooking, basically. Yeah. Um, and. So he's picked up the Dharma to find something better. And um, he's not going to get something better. Well, he's going to get something better if he practices. But it's not something better than 
where he was before, mm. it will be the calm that comes out of complete acceptance of where he is now. Yeah, and that, you know, what the Buddha taught was understanding our contribution to stress and to understand our contribution to our own stress and the stress that's inherent in the world we have to have a calm mind to do that so that next clause do you understand that one who is free from passion and released from craving for form and sensory satisfaction does not experience the sorrow, regret, pain, distress, and despair due to change of that form and loss of sensory satisfaction? So, one who is free from passion and released from craving, like Ram said, accepts what's occurring, accepts life as it is as it's occurring. Doesn't need it to be different than it is. Feelings arise and pass away. If I'm if I'm caught up in needing what I'm feeling right now to be different, then I'm gonna suffer sorrow, regret, pain, distress, and despair when it doesn't change. When I'm still disappointed. Yes, I understand, great teacher. Buddha's words. Good. This is what follows for one released from craving for or clinging to form and sensory satisfaction. Tissa, do you understand that one who is released from craving for and clinging to feelings or perceptions or fabrications or consciousness does not experience the sorrow, regret, pain, distress, and despair due to change to any of these aggregates. Yes, I understand, great teacher. Good. This is what follows for one released from craving for or clinging to any of these aggregates. And so again, this, this the Buddha is commenting here on, on the five clinging aggregates and how the process of self-identification with form, with feeling, with perceptions, with mental fabrications, with consciousness, is eye-making. That's why, that's why we're going to suffer. Because we're identifying with thought. This is me, this is mine, this is who I am. We're identifying with feeling. This is my feeling. This is my thought. I want it to be different. I need it to be different. As soon as we adopt that, we've self-identified with five clinging aggregates. And now we're subject to sorrow, regret, pain, distress, and despair. And specifically regret. Yeah. That, that, I, that, that, that jumped out on me as, as a, a central thing here. It's, you know, it, you, can, you can quibble about uh, pain and suffering and all that, but what we deal with so much is the regret mm. that we have. Mm -hmm. Oh, you know, I could have done something else. 
Boy, this should have been something else. Yeah. The second arrow. Right. Uh-huh. The second arrow, yeah. What can I do? I've got to do something. Why didn't I do this? Why didn't I do that? Yeah. yeah. So, and what do you do now? <clears throat> Don't shut mm-hmm. on yourself, see? What, exactly. What do you do now that you should, you were thinking that uh, in retrospect, I should have done this, I should have done that, but you didn't do this or that. Right. So what do you do now? Yeah. That's all that matters, because what you didn't do doesn't exist anymore. It's gone. What's mm-hmm. going to happen doesn't exist anymore. We don't know. Now. So what are you going to do in this moment? Right. See, we go, we go through this a lot, you know, Julia and I. It's like, <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm only joking. I, every joke that I actually thought towards Julia is a reflection of myself. <laughs> or it's a, it arises from that. Anyhow. So, but we, you know, like so many times it comes up like, uh, um, this morning, this morning, yeah, so I'm not going to go into specifics. <laughs> yeah. But uh, when something occurs, okay, it's occurred now. Half hour ago, 20 minutes ago. It's occurred already. It's, there's nothing we can do about something that has occurred already. It doesn't exist anymore. You mm-hmm. exactly. Right. So, exactly. so what's, what's yeah. the foundational yeah. teaching that's illustrated right there? Bingo. Mm-hmm. Bingo. Bingo? I thought it was But that's it. And, that, and, you know, this goes right back to, to the sutta. Tissa. Do you understand that form is impermanent mm-hmm. and subject to change? Mm-hmm. Do you understand that feelings, perceptions, fabrications, and consciousness, that all of these five aggregates are impermanent and subject to change? Yes, I understand, great teacher. Tissa, do you understand that what is impermanent, always subject to change, is stressful? Yes, I understand, great teacher. Well. Tissa, is it wise to cling to what is impermanent and stressful through self-identification as this is me, this is mine, this is what I am? No. It is not wise to cling through self-identification to what is impermanent and stressful. Then, Tissa, I teach that any form, feeling, perception, fabrication, or consciousness should be known through wisdom and right view as This is not me. This is not mine. This is not who I am. Train yourself, Tissa, in this manner. Any form or feeling or perception or fabrication or consciousness whatsoever that is past, present, or future, whether seen as internal or external, whether obvious or subtle, whether unique or pervasive, whether far or near, should through right view be known as this is not me this is not mine this is not who i am understanding this the well-instructed dhamma practitioner becomes disenchanted with form disenchanted with feelings disenchanted with perceptions needing to constantly affirm me in my opinion disenchanted with fabrications disenchanted with consciousness rooted in ignorance of Four Noble Truths. From disenchantment, passions fade away. 
Dispassionate, the well-instructed Dhamma practitioner is released from clinging to wrong views. With release, they know through direct experience, I am released. Released through their own efforts, they know that birth is ended, life is integrated with the Eightfold Path, and has been completed. There is no further clinging to this world. Friend Tissa, think of it this way. Imagine two men, one skilled in the Dhamma and one not. The man unskilled in the Dhamma asked the skilled man to describe the Eightfold Path. The skilled man would answer, the path is like this. You walk along and come to a fork in the road. You avoid the left fork and take the right. You walk further and come across a thick forest. Further still is a swamp. Even further you come along a steep cliff. Continuing on the path, you arise at a delightful place of spacious and level ground. I tell you this story to teach you that the unskilled man is an ordinary person with no knowledge of my Dhamma. The skilled man is a worthy and rightly skilled person, is a worthy and rightly self-awakened person. The fork in the road represents uncertainty, which is the feature of impermanence. We don't know what's going to happen. And the habit of five clinging aggregates, the habit of anatta is to strategize, control, fix, solve, change, get rid of whatever is occurring in order to secure the outcome that we want. The fork in the road represents uncertainty. The left fork is the wrong eightfold path. This is interesting. He does, Buddha doesn't do this. I don't know of any other sutta where he does this. The, for, the left fork is the wrong eightfold path. This path continues wrong views, wrong intentions, wrong speech, wrong actions, wrong livelihood, wrong effort, wrong mindfulness, and wrong meditation. So what would those, what would those be from? Wrong views. Views rooted in ignorance, right? Of four noble truths. The right fork is the noble eightfold path. This path develops right view, right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, and right meditation. The thick forest represents ignorance of four noble truths. The swamp represents sensual desires. The cliff represents anger, resentment, and despair. The delightful place of spacious and level ground represents release from craving for and clinging to wrong views, ignorant of four noble truths. Rejoice now, Tissa, rejoice. A rightly self-awakened one is here to inspire you, to guide you, to teach you. This is what the Buddha said. Tissa was gratified and delighted at hearing these words. That's the sutta. So, let's go around the room and hear what everybody has to say about this. Jeff. 
Good evening, everybody. Good evening. Um, I think this is a beautiful suit in its, in its, it's obviously a metaphor, but it, it's so beautiful a metaphor. It's so simple and plain. Um, I, I kind of get trapped in it literally, in a way. Um, <laughs> in a previous lifetime, I mean, earlier in this one, uh, literally previous lifetime, I actually maintained trails. And so this just strikes such a literal chord with me. You, you can, you, you literally have this conversation with people in real life on real life trails that there is a, this is, this is the way you're supposed to go. And this is the way to avoid all these problems. And it's amazing how many people don't listen to the message and, and literally you have to call out search and rescue. Um, I don't know if that's any great insight, but that's, that's what it does for me just because of my background. It, it, you're, uh, you're familiar with some of those areas, I think. Definitely. Matt. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and we've talked. We've talked about, about that. It. You, yeah. you make the wrong turn, and you virtually fall off a cliff. That's true, and you know, and that's 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 excellent, and that that's that's what the Buddha says: the danger of the slightest error. That's what he's talking about. And it, it's invariably because somebody thinks that because they got to the top of the mountain. Getting down will be easy, and I'll just take this shortcut. That's excellent, Jeff. Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing. We can look into our own lives and see where, where we want to take a shortcut, you know? And, and we're going to manufacture a shortcut in our mind to take, if we can. I've got to show the group I'm with that I'm a better trail navigator than anybody else and I'll beat them all back to the parking lot. Yeah. Right. So it's always it's always uh um self aggrandizing, you know, in that way. Yeah, it is eye making. Thanks, Jeff. As a practitioner, this is experiencing the hindrances. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean the first lines are essentially Reading out all of them. Yeah. And this is our practice that we're all confronted with every day, the hindrances. Yeah. Uninspired, cloudy, overwhelmed, lethargic, unsatisfying, uncertain. You know? Wants it to be different yeah. than what it is. <clears throat> Nina, how you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. Um, I'm going to take a noble silence tonight. Glad you're here. Thank you. Thanks. Jane, how are you tonight? I'm well, thank you. Um, I'm sure you know me well enough that to recognize that I 
was that person who wanted things to be different, um, wanted to fix, control what happened in the past, was going to happen in the future. And uh, I very much wanted it to be different. I don't like uncertainty or didn't like uncertainty. And uh, it's been a journey to get to where I am now. You know, accepting impermanence and that I don't control everything. And so I'm grateful for that. So thank you. Thank you, Jane. Yeah, you know, it was... We're, we're all very fortunate to have something to interrupt this compulsion to I make to uh, to trailblaze our ignorance and it's the Eightfold Path. We have that path of practice. Dev, how are you doing tonight? I uh, just have a quick question. Uh, what were you referring to earlier when you said you never uh, heard or, or saw the Buddha do this before in other suttas? Uh, the, the place where he talks about a wrong eightfold path and a right eightfold path. Doesn't he often speak about uh, unskillful way to do things to to go about life and the skillful way to go about life seems to be like the pretty like like the common message. Yeah, he's. Ne I don't. I don't recall a sutta where he he called something the wrong eightfold path and compared it to the right eightfold path. Never heard oh, that. That specifically, I get it. Yeah, he'll it's take it. he'll take individual like he'll take he'll talk about the wrong view or wrong intention or wrong mindfulness. But yeah, I, I've never heard him take the whole path and say, oh, there's a wrong path. Right, right. But as John has said, John has alluded to it right. many times. Did he see on there? Yeah, oh yeah. Being okay, but like what he has alluded to is uh, a right view implies a wrong view. Right. So mm -hmm. I guess that's applicable to Hey, Matt? Yeah. It might be, and this is pure speculation on my part, but. Um, he might be referring to the portion in the Vedas that, that Pantajali created the eight limbs of yoga out of. Because I think he was prescient enough to understand that human beings might do that. And it's interesting that, that many people that are practicing yoga said, yes, it's the same practice because of the eight limbs and the eight factors. They're, they're really two different teachings, but, um, and again, pure speculation, but, uh, and you're right, the, the correct interpretation is that any any other path is a wrong painful path. And whatever we're substituting uh, is going to be a wrong path. And so continue to, to to rush headlong to the cliff like you know, like I did and we all did for many years. Again, Roger's wondering what happened when we fell off the cliff, you know. Mm -hmm. Right. How did we get here? Yeah, why does this keep happening to me? Because I keep jumping. It's also a warning about embellishing or tweaking or <clears throat> leaving something out or mm -hmm. trying to make it fit how you want it to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 
Is that sufficient, Dev? Oh, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> hey, Ryan, how you doing? Doing well, Matt. How are you? Good, thanks. Uh, nothing to add from, from my side today. <clears throat> Glad you're here. Thanks. Brian, how are you, sir? I'm good, Matt. Uh, thanks for the teaching. I, I like David. The uh, the hindrances jumped out to me right at the top, and then um, the underlying um, creative version of deleted thinking, right? And he, his whole premise was wishing for things to be different than what they were. And it, it was interesting that the Buddha, he could have just called that out directly, but instead took him sort of the circuitous circuitous route right on the paths to get to the to the answer which is more i think more meaningful than just directly countering him on well you're suffering from the hindrances right get over it okay. pointing back to the the meaning of the dhamma so thank you thanks kev how are you sir Doing well, doing well. Thank you for this teaching, Matt. Um, I, I like uh, Jeff's contribution about sort of the trail. And, you know, it's neat in here where the description of the thick forest, the swamp, and the cliff. And, you know, you mentioned earlier that impermanence is sort of veiled in that. And, uh, you know, the trail map and the trail stay the same, but sometimes the map you know, becomes less clear or, uh, you know, in the instance of the swamp, you know, swamps change seasonally. And with distraction, we experience that, you know, the swamp is frozen or the swamp is sort of in motion. And uh, I really liked how that can represent sensual desires and, and distraction all wrapped in there. Uh, so you, you all did a really nice job of sort of pointing us there. And we have to cut back the brush and, you know, make sure we're not stepping in the swamp when the mud's up and Watch out for those cliffs because it's insidious, you know, it, it's, it's happening. You know, the world is natural and desire and distraction arise and pass away and are, are always there to take us off. So thank you for all of you to keep us focused and me, me particularly. Thanks, Kev. Thanks, Kevin. John, how are you, sir? I'm good, sir. Thank you for that excellent teaching and the, the excellent discussion. Um, we are so fortunate to have each other and have a well-informed and well-focused on this. Um, the, uh, you know, the, 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 the subtitle to the Pitcha Sutta is uncertainty. And it is that uncertainty that is massaged um, to the point of losing Dhamma practice if you do indulge in that. And that's really the point there. You know, the Buddha is teaching us from 2,600 years ago, uncertainty is going to be a part of practice. And like Brian said, it's not enough to just say stop it. But if we point ourselves back to the framework of the Eightfold Path, that, that allows us the framework to recognize and abandon uncertainty within the safety of the path itself, within the true refuge. Um, but it's a, it's a common um, problem. And I would say that um, of all the hundreds of thousands of, I'm just even joke, I, I, I probably interacted with, with maybe around a thousand people who are interested in the Dhamma. I think that's a realistic number. And so here we are tonight. Um, so what happened? It was almost to a person.
person that was indulging in the uncertainty and saying that because I'm uncertain, this can't work. And I did that from one practice to another to another because I was I felt very uncertain about this particular Theravada practice, so let me try the Zen practice. Well, the Zen practice, I don't quite get it, so let me try something else. Um, and none of it worked. All of it kept me uh, kept maintaining a mind of uncertainty. And why? Because I kept jumping off the cliff. I, I, I didn't I didn't actually have a framework for not doing that until I came to the Buddhist Dharma. And then I became certain by practice. It wasn't it wasn't just you know I read one word out of the Sutta Pitaka and the light went on. It was it was ongoing practice. And for me, it was getting into the suttas and restoring them or putting them in a framework that made consistent sense to me. Um, but then I stopped jumping off the cliff and I started having the early goals. And that's that's why we emphasize it here. And you did a, such a good job of that, Matt, that in order for you to, to get past the uncertainty, you have to allow yourself to experience the Dhamma. And then it, then it, for most of us, it becomes clear. Um, but that that's a relative term, too. So I was speaking with another one of our sanghamas. I had a Zoom session with them. Uh, they've been practicing for a while, but this is the one thing that they are coming up against, is, is this uncertainty. They understand that they're going to continue with practice um, because that's all that we can do. And the reason why I brought that up is that that is allowing them to continue with practice to get past their uncertainty it's built into the Eightfold Path. Um, the other thing I want to say, if, if any of you missed Saturday's class, please listen to it because that class is on uh, the Bhagavad Sutra, the analysis of the Eightfold Path, which is really the keystone of this whole structured study. So again, if you haven't heard it yet, please listen to it. That's all I have. Thank you, Matt, for a great class. Thank you, John. Ron. Ah. How are you, sir? I'm good. Thank you for the class. Um, this is a really sweet circuit. Um, look at how <clears throat> how the Buddha treats Tisa. You know, mm. um, it's just this this gentle correction and mm. and and explanation, and and then encouragement. Yeah, um, it's um, it's it's heartwarming to yeah. to hear that uh, that even then you know somebody like a cousin who you know. Is is close to the Buddha, um, and I'm going to guess had some inkling of what what the sangha was about, but still had had his doubts and 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 regrets, um, and the Buddha just takes him by the hand and says, "No, this this is you know this is what you're doing, and this is how you can correct it, you know, and take heart." Rejoice! Yeah, rejoice. Um, it's it's the Buddha and and the Sangha at at its best. Mm. Uh, beautiful. Thank you. Well said. Thank you, Mom. Julia. Thank you, Matt. Um, I wrote a little something. I'm, I'm just going to read it because yeah. it's easy. I, I can't possibly say this from the top of my head. Um, this one line comes from the um, from the Sutta, which I really like because he, the Buddha kept on repeating it over again. He said, form, feeling, perception, fabrications, or consciousness, 
to be known through wisdom and right view. Right? This is not me, this is not mine, and this is not who I am. Um, so where is this wisdom found? Direct knowledge and wisdom is found in jhana, in the stilling of the mind, the stilling of the aggregates, where we are present. In jhana, we silence or shut off the aggregates. In jhana, we still sensory perceptions by going to seclusion from sensuality and unskilled qualities. We, we still fabrications and thoughts where the mind becomes free from conceptualizations and finally transcends this dimension of space. In jhana, we understand the subtle illusions we cling to and set them aside as we recognize this is not me, mine, or who I am. This deepening concentration leads us to the profound understanding that we cannot be anywhere but present. All else is impermanent, including the fleeting present moment. That's what I wrote. That's awesome. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Yeah. I, oh, thank you. No, I would, I would just say that I think it's not necessarily something that we do in jhana. It's something that arises from jhana mm -hmm. practice. So yeah, that's, that's all. Sure. That yeah. was beautiful. Thank you. Michael. Uh, good class, uh, Matt, as always. Thanks. I have uh, a bunch of scribble notes around here, so I'm just going to uh, jump around a little bit. I like what Ram, Ram I like what you had said before initially when Matt kind of, you know, asked you that question mm -hmm. earlier, and uh, I agree with that. It was like a skillful answer there. I like the you uh, uh, responded to the attachment that was creating that problem which is basically what we do. We create our problems from attaching to what? This life that we're living in, this experience we're living in. We want to attach to it, you know, but it's impermanent, right? So we really can't attach to something that's impermanent, now can we? And if we try to do that, it creates pain and suffering. Um, Lapisa, uh, you know, um, if this was an actual conversation, he doesn't seem to be uh, very um, aware of his his own ignorance. He doesn't recognize. Doesn't seem like he's recognizing things. He's, he seems like he um, um, there's self-reference in what he's saying, and uh, he definitely seems to be stressed. So um, I would think this comes the hindrances uh, for me, um, the way I see things. When they arise, if I'm reacting to them, then I'm not understanding them. Mm. And I see that uh, also anything that pertains to that which is not in the moment, I, I try not to pursue it because I know that's not the Dhamma. The Dhamma can only, you know, like, we can only practice the Dhamma when we're present, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. This way, because it's, it occurs in the present moment, right? The mind doesn't shift. Would you agree to that? The stillness of the mind. And mm -hmm. in, uh, in that stillness, that's where the recognition of uh, the not-self, kind of like for me, actually kind of presents itself. Because I know this much, right? The Dhamma is something that I feel that I'm immersed in. I immerse myself. I try to immerse myself in it. So, like, 
we're in this moment here, we are practicing the Dhamma, mm -hmm. and we're cognizant of what we say, and we're, we're cognizant, we're holding the mind the Eightfold Path. Mm -hmm. So anything outside of that moment is not the Dhamma. So I think that's an important thing to recognize in our daily lives, because it's easy for that to, uh, you know, kind of like be put on the back burner. But it is present. It's present. And to, uh, I myself remind myself of that, that this is, this is all that matters right now. And whatever I do in this moment, holding in mind the Eightfold Path, then I got to be on the right path. Because it, yeah. where else is there to go perspective? So, yeah. uh, that was about it. Uh, what? That's, that's excellent. That's enough, right? Um, you know, and I, I think also that, you know, for Tissa and for each of us, when we're on our cushion, when we're out in the world, feelings arise. Thoughts arise and pass away. Do we, whether we're on our cushion or we're out in the world, do we react? Do we take those thoughts and feelings personally? Do we use those feelings and thoughts to establish ourselves against whatever feeling and thought that has arisen? That's right. So, you know, it's... Tissa's, Tissa's quandary is, is, you know, kind of what Ram said and, and, and how the Buddha just points him back to his own right effort. You know? Rejoice that there's a rightly self-awakened one that, that has, that you can, that can learn, you can learn from, that will teach you. So that through your own effort, you'll start to see that Feelings arise and pass away. Thoughts arise and pass away. And this is not me. This is not mine. This is not who I am. One more, if I could just say this one more thing. Sure. And John, John has mentioned this many, many times in class. Uh, and it actually makes a lot, it resonates uh, with me, uh, or it has lately. Uh, it's such a simple thing that John says. John, uh, you oftentimes say that um, Whoever said that a human life was supposed to be easy or, you know, without issues or problems, you know? It's so easy to think, all right, so now we're practicing the Dhamma. All this, this is lifted off us like uh, some kind of miracle. But in actuality, we still have a, a human life to live. And uh, sometimes it's not as favorable as we would like for it to be. But all it, all it is, again, is just part of the experience that we experience at that particular time. And when we have the Eightfold Path healthy mind, refined mindfulness, then we'll make the right decisions. Instead of feeling sorry for ourselves sitting in the corner, right? Yeah. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, and, you know, there's nothing personal about the experience. No. Mm -hmm. That's true. It's just what's occurring. That's just it. Thank you, Michael. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Matt. So would you say, uh, just kind of listening to what Michael just said and what you just said, would you say that Dhamma practice doesn't really 
make you immune to things like the hindrances. They're still like valid, they're occurring, they're real, but it's Dhamma practice, as you said earlier, it brings us clarity, focus, calm, to allow those, to allow us to, I guess, understand, you know, and recognize their impermanence, not self-identity, but it doesn't make us immune to them, they still... Right, like, we're still human, so we right. still, there are still thoughts, feelings, <laughs> emotions, sensations, all of those things, but like the Buddha instructed Tissa, we become disenchanted with form, disenchanted with feeling, disenchanted with perception, disenchanted with fabrications, disenchanted with consciousness that continually seeks to establish itself in every object event view. Yeah. Including being disenchanted with immunity. Right. Mm. Because that's what I wanted my whole life. I didn't want anything to affect me. And so I almost lost my life over that desire. Yeah. To create something that is my own little bubble. And we all do that in varying yeah, degrees. Exactly. The Buddha understood that. And what he taught us was a way that is a direct counter to that need to be immune from things. And to directly experience all of life. You know, the real good parts and the real crappy parts. Yeah. Yeah, thank you, John. What's going on like right now, and to maintain a calm and peaceful mind through the, the cessation of the need for immunity, meaning I need something to protect me. No, I mean we all know. You know, it comes back to that question I got asked the first uh, the first retreat. What happens when a train's coming at you? Well, we got brains. You take two steps to the right. But what we're talking about is that self-inflicted the second arrow because I think that I should be immune. Things shouldn't happen. And this is slightly, it doesn't slight, it doesn't completely relate to what we're doing, but I'm reminded of the first talk I ever gave in Alcoholics Anonymous. And this was, I was only sober three months. And I kind of surprised the room and I surprised myself. I said, I'm so glad that I no longer have to be perfect in an imperfect world. And that was a, one of the greatest reliefs of my life because up until that point, I was trying to be. And it, it led to a life of fabricated immunity, or at least an attempt at it. Uh, and over time, I, I, and again, it took me another 10 years after that to realize how important it is for me to experience every moment in my life if I want to have a human life. You know, I don't want to be immune to anything. Uh, and the Buddha was teaching Tissa this in, in a very, like Ram noticed, in a very gentle and direct way. Uh, gentleness requires directness, and it was kind of hitting Tissa right between the eyes. But again, in a very gentle way, he was saying, you know, like what you, what you just said, Lord, he said, stop seeking immunity and dive into the Dhamma. Follow this eightfold path wholeheartedly, and you'll find just what you're looking for. Uh, it still works, you know. Uh, well, I, I'll leave it at that. I don't want to talk too much, because I tend to talk too much. It's my <laughs> Thank New Year's you, John. resolution I'm coming to in March. So. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Laura. Right. <clears throat> Good to be here. Thanks for your teaching. Um, yeah, just uh, went for a walk after work, and uh, you know, the season, if everything's warming up, everybody's out. Trying to shut has a lot more people on these days. It's, it's like turning into a whole other thing. I'm just like, I don't want to see anybody. 
That's excellent. Yeah, I mean, you, you didn't. Thanks, Brett. You didn't create a strategy to move away from it. You didn't create a strategy to avoid it. You didn't create a strategy to get the outcome that you wanted. You accepted what was occurring. Yeah, there's just too much. There's just too much out there. And I yeah. I could walk around the block and not see and avoid this section or avoid that section, and I was like, uh, no, just let it all happen. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I mean, you, if, if you think about it, if, you're, if your mind is free, you can walk wherever you want to walk without who's going to be over there. It, it, you, you'll deal with it when you get there. Yeah, I mean, I'm not like I'm avoiding anybody, you know, like, but, you know, sometimes it just, you know. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. you want it to be a certain way. Yeah. And it wasn't. And I realized that it just wasn't. There's just too much happening. Uh -huh. It's not wintertime anymore. Right. <laughs> Thank you. David. Hi, everyone. Hey, David. We're all Tissa, each and every oh. one of us. And we strive for right intention and right effort. And if you think this practice is for something else, you can put all that effort into whatever practice you put together but if it's not with right intention and right effort you can get, get lost it's just like Tissa did and you know the hindrance of doubt is I think the most insidious of all the hindrances mm. because is this really what I started this practice for and you know the, the Buddha helped Tissa back to a right view right intention so uh, I, I often think and Jen taught us you know what this practice is for and, and don't be confused by what to expect from it that you know the lesser pleasures are to be abandoned mm -hmm. and the greater pleasures of what this practice brings is you know what's so special about it and you know the sangha you know without this mechanism of this sangha you just can't do it alone so thank you thank you dan well said <laughs> Thanks, everybody. That was great. Uh, 
We'll finish as we always do with Meta. This is from the Karaniya Meta Sutta. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. May all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none. The great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings. Radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. Thank you all. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, Matt. Thanks, Matt. Welcome. Good night, everybody. Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.